You're listening to Bible Prophecy Talk on the Revelations Radio Network. Problems with the Psalm 83 War In the next chapter, I will explain why getting the Gog-Magog War timing wrong could play into the hands of the Antichrist. But before I do that, I need to discuss the so-called Psalm 83 War, because believing that this war will take place is just as dangerous as believing false views about the Gog-Magog War for many of the same reasons. Psalm 83 is a prayer of Asaph, which describes many of Israel's closest neighbors plotting against them. Asaph is praying that God would destroy the nations that are scheming against Israel. In times past, this psalm has been seen simply as a prayer of Asaph that asks God to help Israel by dealing with their many enemies during Asaph's day. However, recently a new doctrine has come about, chiefly through Arnold Fruchtenbaum and Bill Salas, which suggests that the prayer of Asaph in Psalm 83 should be seen as a prophecy, because they say such a war has never occurred in Israel's history, and therefore must be seen as a future event. I will be arguing against this theory by making the following points. Number one, there is no war in Psalm 83. Number two, there is no prophecy in Psalm 83. Number three, all of the events in Psalm 83 happened in Asaph's day. Number four, several examples of similar prayers can be seen in other psalms that are obviously not prophecies. Number five, commenting on Bill Salas's responses when challenged on this theory. There is no war in Psalm 83. A plain reading of Psalm 83 suggests nothing more than a number of nations in Asaph's day had recently been making political alliances against Israel. They never actually attack anyone. The phrases used to describe their actions include, they have taken crafty counsel, they have said, for they have consulted together, they form a confederacy. The phrases describing what these nations are doing show them to simply be making alliances and plans. There is nothing in the text that describes these nations doing anything more than that. The whole point of Asaph's prayer was to ask God to prevent these nations from doing anything more than simply planning to attack. And if God answered Asaph's prayer, then there's no reason to go looking for this war in history or the future, because God prevented it from happening as per Asaph's request. I challenge anyone to show evidence of a war in Psalm 83. It cannot be done. There is no prophecy in Psalm 83. There is no language in Psalm 83 that suggests that it is prophetic. In other prophecies of future wars or judgments upon nations, the prophet often declares that he is speaking a prophecy by saying something like, The Lord said that in the latter years such and such will happen, like in the case of Ezekiel 38.8, or at the time of the end so and so will attack, like in Daniel 11.40. Prophecies in the Psalms often describe events in the Messianic age to signify that a prophecy is being made, or there is some sort of response from God in the Psalm. Psalm 83 has none of these elements. Asaph never tells us that he has seen something that would take place in the future. In fact, every indication from the text we have suggests that he is describing the political situation in his own day. All of the events in Psalm 83 are happening in Asaph's day. The political situation that Asaph describes in Psalm 83 is perfectly consistent with events in his day, around 950 BC, and there's no reason to see this psalm as requiring future fulfillment. The nations that he mentions conspiring together, such as Edom, Moab, Hagrites, Gabal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, Tyre, Assyria, and Lot, were all very close neighbors to Israel, mostly in Jordan and Lebanon. 
The picture painted by Asaph is a perfect fit with what we know from scripture and history about the political situation of the time. Bill Salas would disagree with this point, and I will deal with his arguments in the final section of this chapter. Several examples of similar prayers can be seen in psalms that are obviously not prophecies. On several occasions in the psalms, we see the psalmist complaining to God about the surrounding nations who wanted to see Israel destroyed. The psalmists often plead with God to destroy these enemies. Anyone who has spent much time reading the psalms will know that this is a consistent, if not prevalent, theme all throughout the psalms. Therefore, without any direct reason to do otherwise in the text, we should assume Psalm 83 is like all the other prayers for deliverance from enemies of the day. Bill Salas's Responses When Challenged on This Theory In a recent debate with Thomas Ice, Bill Salas was challenged with many of the points I have brought up in this chapter. I will list his responses to Ice's criticisms and comment upon them. In response to Ice's suggestion that there is no prophecy in Psalm 83, Salas made the following points. Number one, he said that Asaph was called a seer in Second Chronicles 29.30, and so should be considered a prophet. This is true, but establishing Asaph as a prophet has nothing to do with whether or not Psalm 83 is a prophecy or not. David was a prophet, but very few aspects of his psalms are considered to be prophecies. Daniel was a prophet, but there are plenty of his writings that are not prophetic, his account of being thrown in the lion's den, etc. Just because a prophet is a prophet doesn't mean that every word he wrote was prophetic. Number two, he claims that Assyria and Gabal, both mentioned in Psalm 83, were not, quote, in the picture or, quote, in the fray during the time of Asaph, and therefore Psalm 83 must be a prophecy. Let's take Assyria first. By Asaph's day, Assyria had been in existence for over 1,000 years. Even the middle kingdom of Assyria, the kingdom in question, was established nearly 400 years prior to Asaph. In addition, we know of Assyria-Israel relations at least as far back as 871 to 850 BC because of Assyrian inscriptions which mention King Ahab and Jesu of Israel, which would have been only 75 to 100 years after Asaph wrote. When you consider what it was that Assyria was doing as a part of this coalition in Psalm 83, namely helping the Ammonites and Moabites, which probably means supplying soldiers or other types of aid to them, we can be more sure that this fits with what we know of the political situation of the day. During the reign of David, who wrote many of the Psalms, the Ammonites had procured soldiers from Syria to defend themselves against King David, according to 2 Samuel 10.6, which says, When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rohab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from King Makkah, 1,000 men, and from Ishtab, 12,000 men. This is significant for two reasons. The first is that it shows that what Psalm 83 said Ammon and Moab were doing, that is, getting help from countries to the north to fight Israel, was something that they had done only a few years before Asaph wrote. The second reason is that the Syrians, the country that Second Samuel said that they were getting soldiers from in David's day, was on the border with Assyria, and by 911 BC would become an official vassal state of the Assyrian Empire, which means that if Ammon did the same thing that they did in Second Samuel a few years later, they would be getting help from Assyria. The motive for Assyria to help Ammon and Moab is obvious, because in 950 BC, trade routes such as the King's Highway, which was always a source of wars between Transjordan and Israel, see Numbers 20, 17-21, was more important than ever. The recent expansion of Israel during the reign of David and Solomon had severely threatened access to these routes, which were a lifeline to the Assyrian Empire. 
If Ammon and Moab, along with their allies, could conquer even a small amount of land to secure these routes, the financial benefits to Assyria would be vast. Ammon and Moab had a unique relationship to Assyria in the late 8th century. They were allies with Assyria, paying them regular tribute, as opposed to being conquered by Assyria as many of their neighbors were. Bill Salas says that Psalm 83 has to be a prophecy because Assyria was not, quote, in the picture at the time. Yet everything we know from archaeological finds suggests that they were very much in the picture. Gibal. Salas says that Gibal wasn't, quote, in the fray during Asaph's day, but this is totally untrue. Gibal, or modern-day Byblos in Lebanon, is considered to be the oldest continually inhabited city in the world, with a history going back thousands of years before Asaph. Gibal is even mentioned in 1 Kings 5.18, which would put them having relations with Israel during the exact time in question. In addition, we know that during the reign of the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser I, 1114-1076 BC, he visited Gabal to secure trade routes there, which might explain why Lebanon and Jordan were banding together with Assyrian support in Psalm 83, that is, to secure trade routes to Assyria, which flowed from Lebanon to the king's highway, which were being hampered by Israel's expansion. Number 3. Salas says that the phrase, quote, tents of Edom, must refer to the modern-day Palestinians. Salas says that the word tense in Psalm 83.6 suggests a, quote, habitation condition. And since, in his view, the people of Edom have, quote, ethnical representation in the Palestinians today, that this phrase must be seen as a prophecy. Salas is trying to make the reference to tents be a technical term that applies to the current Palestinian refugee conditions. But this is absurd and it ignores the actual reason that the phrase Tents of Edom was used. The Edomites were a semi-nomadic pastoral people who really did dwell in tents. One archaeologist says the following of this fact, quote, Moab, and especially Edom, should be considered mainly as tented kingdoms. Likewise, at any rate, the 13th to perhaps the 9th centuries B.C. as a result. Since the people of Edom dwelled in tents, Asaph refers to them as the Tents of Edom. It's as simple as that. In addition, Edom was located south of the Red Sea, mostly in modern-day Jordan. It was directly below the kingdom of Moab in the east and below the kingdom of Judah in the west. Today, there are no Palestinian territories in what was ancient Edom. What Salas is saying is that the Palestinians today have Edomite blood, even though they don't dwell in Edom anymore. I can't imagine how one could prove that claim to be true unless a comprehensive study of the migrations of the Palestinians was done alongside a massive genetic testing campaign, but even if we assumed it was true, I would like the reader to notice how inconsistent his hermeneutic is. In all other cases in Psalm 83, Salus is looking at the geographic areas mentioned and matching them with their modern equivalents. For example, when it says Gibal in Lebanon, he's looking to that area in Lebanon and trying to match it with the people dwelling in that location. In that case, it doesn't seem to matter to him who carries modern Gibal blood. But in the case of Edom, he doesn't care who dwells in the land of Edom. He's only interested in the bloodline of the people who lived there in Asaph's day. One can argue which method of interpretation is correct, but you can't have it both ways without major inconsistencies and contradictions. In any event, the point is that Salas takes something very simple, the phrase Tents of Edom, a reference to the tent-dwelling people of Edom, and tells us that it can only refer to modern-day Palestinian refugees, even though they don't dwell in Edom. Conclusion The Psalm 83 war is a brand new doctrine, which, to quote Thomas Ice, is utter speculation. 
In Psalm 83, Asaph is praying that God would deal with the various enemies around Israel who are making political alliances that might one day lead them to attack Israel. There is no description of a war or an attack of any kind in Psalm 83, nor is there any language that would suggest that Asaph is making a prophecy. Asaph's prayer is almost identical to other prayers in the Psalms where the writer is asking God to stop various enemies who are plotting against Israel. From everything we can tell in scripture and in history, the political alliances being made are consistent with Asaph's time. I dealt with Bill Salas's response to Thomas Ice's critiques of his theory and showed that both Assyria and Gabal were, quote, in the fray during the time in question, as well as showed that the phrase tents of Edom simply refers to those that dwell in Edom. Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free, and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.